You're tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network, featuring news, interviews, and commentary on all things Black Hollywood. Hollywood redefined. From Los Angeles, California, streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies, this is Black Hollywood Live. Justice is served. Featuring the week's roundup and commentary on legal news. Black Hollywood Live. Hollywood redefined. You're listening to Black Hollywood Live. And now, the host for Black Hollywood Live, Justice is Served. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Justice is Served. It is Wednesday, January 27th. I cannot believe we are almost done with the first month of 2016. We are your Justice is Served legal panel to bring you the legal news that we think you should know about and our thoughts and analysis on it. My name is Chelsea Galicia. I am your host and an L.A. workers' compensation attorney. I am joined by B.J. Abron, who is a recent member of the California Bar Association. What is it? Bar Association? I guess, yeah. And uh, <laughs> comes to us from Compton's, done some... Yes work in the public defender's office and uh, BET, Business and Legal Affairs. Right, right. And Shaka Smith comes to us from Miami, but also then go all over the eastern seaboard, <laughs> Princeton and D.C. and then to L.A. Welcome, guys, and thanks for being with me. we got some interesting stories to cover today. That we do. The, the very first one it was the shocking news yesterday about the Planned Parenthood investigations and the indictment that came out of Texas. This is surprising. So you'll remember that there were two activists, and uh, the tide has greatly turned against them. They started off with the adoration of a lot of anti-abortion uh, citizens in this country. They went undercover and got these videotaped uh, conversations with them and Planned Parenthood employees where it appeared that there was like a transaction going down for the sale of fetal tissue and body parts and things like that. And this was a huge deal. Uh, we talked about defunding Planned Parenthood yeah, over this. Right. It wasn't even anti-abortion. It was just sort of everyone was shocked by it. Right. Yes. Yeah. right. Because the sale of fetal, fetal tissue yeah. is illegal, but Planned Parenthood said it's not selling it. What we're doing is get reimbursed for the costs associated right. with it, yeah. which is legal, although they stopped doing that after these videos came out. The way the picture was painted was just, and I'm pro-abortion, and even myself, you know, after I heard the all of this news, this breaking news, it was just like, what is yeah. going on here? Right. So yeah. it turns out that these videos were highly edited and misrepresented what was actually going on. They were showing images uh, that were not images from Planned Parenthood. Yeah. They would, like, find images of, like, aborted fetuses on the Internet and then speak over them, narrate over them, and act like that was something that came out of Planned Parenthood. So. Right. Lots of interesting things going on to politically sway the opinion of Planned Parenthood by members of the public and Congress. It almost led to a government yeah, shutdown. Definitely worked, yeah. And then a bunch of states started investigating Planned Parenthood, and one of those states was Texas. And shockingly yesterday, out of Texas, in fact, Harris County, which is a pretty conservative county of Texas, came out with an indictment not against Planned Parenthood. They actually said they had not done anything wrong, and indicted instead the anti-abortion activists. Completely flipped it. Holy yeah. schmoly. So um, 
Who's going to tell us about what they were charged with, yeah, BJ? Yes, definitely. So these activists, or filmmakers, as they're calling them now, um, David Deleden and Sandra Mayer, they were both being charged with tampering with uh, governmental records. And in this particular charge, it was for uh, falsifying governmental IDs or your, your identification cards. So we, we think that, per, I mean, and I don't know for sure, but it looks like they falsified uh, driver's licenses perhaps right. to have a fake identification. Yeah. Because I mean, because you could imagine when you're approaching someone to purchase something like this, they might do a background check on you. They want to yeah. figure out who you are. Right. Um, and apparently these people, or at least one of them, had set up a shell company, Biomax, yeah, something right. or other. Created a Facebook page, yeah, to really. And then set up a, a, a non-profit center for medical progress or something of yeah. that nature was all just sort of a shell scam. A ruse to right. draw in Planned yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And, so, and so that charge, uh, and, and that's those a second-degree felony right okay. Okay, so that how many years can they face for that? Um, they're looking at two to twenty years for that. I mean, obviously it's a huge range of yeah. years. So depending on how the, how lenient the judge is or the, the circumstantial factors involved in the case, obviously it'll fluctuate somewhere between twenty two and twenty years. All right, and then there was one of them got hit with another misdemeanor. That was David uh, Deleden. He was hit with uh, for he was indicted for a count of prohibition of the purchase of sale of human organs. Yeah, that's an interesting one because we do know that he was doing it in order to get draw Planned Parenthood in. So right. he, we know that from a mental standpoint, he wasn't actually trying right. to. It wasn't his goal to purchase them. It yeah, was, I don't know if there's a mens rea requirement on that, like a yeah. state of mind where he actually intended to do it. I can't yeah. see that they would actually get him on that. That might be dropped or found not guilty on that one. But the falsifying. Uh, but sometimes I know a lot of times if you take enough affirmative steps for something, that alone is, an, is enough evidence to show that you were in furtherance of that that particular you know, crime. And I think, right. obviously, all the stuff that it took to, mm -hmm. to actually get to the table to actually negotiate what was going on okay. here, it was a, a sufficient amount of affirmative Yeah, they did set up a lot of things to do right. it. All right, so what are the defenses that these activists, you think, will try and present? Well, the main one um, that they're presenting is that they are um, essentially journalists, and um, journalists go undercover all the time, and these are things journalists do. Um, however, uh, journalists do not have a wide swath. They can't break the law in order to procure a story. Um, kind of gives me a little juxtaposition with the Sean Penn story um, that we covered um, last week where Sean Penn met with El Chapo and there were, whether or not there were legal ramifications. But again, even when he met with El Chapo, he was not allowed to aid him in any way. Even any minutia uh, of aid to El Chapo would have probably rendered Sean Penn culpable or guilty of some other crime. Um, so, but here we see that they have they have taken active steps to actually commit a crime. So it sounds like it's almost like an entrapment defense here. Um, to, to a certain degree, I, I think they're basically saying anything that we did um, in order to further a story as journalists, we should be um, we should be fine. I mean, doing. this right. makes it sound like you can go buy a lot of drugs, do a lot of drugs, and be like, I was just going undercover. Right, story, yeah. So, uh, in, in that case, almost anybody because there's no legal just qualification for what constitutes a journalist. Anybody could become a journalist. Yeah. So anybody could use that defense. I don't see how that's going to go very well here. They're also saying they've got First Amendment rights to freedom of the press and yeah. speech and all that. So it's very vague. And these things are not being attacked here with these with these charges. <laughs> What's being right. attacked is the actual illegality of tampering with um, driver's yeah. licenses. I don't see but, how your free but from speech... from a moral standpoint, um, and, and kind of moving illegal, which obviously we shouldn't do on the show, but kind of pushing the legal issues aside, <laughs> I mean, I think we kind of need to be able to access organizations and companies and uh you know, places that engage in sure. these types of acts to expose. Yeah, absolutely. There should be internal right. audits, but it has to be through the government because this is mm -hmm. like a, a public agency, so there's a medical board that oversees it. There are 
you know, if Congress wanted to do it because some money and, does and, go to, to Planned Parenthood, they could do it. So there are ways. And when you see investigative been, journalists, they go in as like applying for a job position, but they're still presenting their identification. Right. Exactly. They're still, you they're know, not falsifying. It, right. Yeah. Right. So no, there's definitely latitude to do that, but within, you know, the bounds of the law. And I think even as see these guys get a pretty heavy sentence because not only did they misrepresent what was happening, David, we, they didn't actually know who Sandra Merritt was when this happened. So they had the false ID that they had scanned Planned Parenthood. They knew exactly who David Deledian was, but they didn't know who she was, and he refused to let them know who she was. It was only later in a deposition that he coughed it up. Mm. So I think their um, reluctance to help um, with the investigation, coupled with what they produced, which was false, essentially. Right. And so if you think that there's a harsher uh, sentencing here, yeah, um, yes. do you think it will be more or less what they deserve or an example being made out of these individuals? I think it would be what they deserve to, to have a harsher sentence in like a two years, maybe something in between or towards the towards the 20 because of the impact of what they did. Yeah. And, um, it was what, a huge impact. And Yeah. So it, it could have really <laughs> changed the nature of the country, quite yeah. frankly. So. So we should also add that, according to Planned Parenthood, officials in 11 states have cleared the group of any wrongdoing, and then there are officials in other eight states that have declined to even investigate the accusations made by the Center for Medical uh, Progress. So interesting stuff there. All right, moving on, shall we, to uh, Daniel Holtzclaw. So was this just last month that we covered this officer in Oklahoma, he was a young guy, like 29, who was going around and pulling over uh, black women. They were all black women. They had records, drugs, prostitution, um, poor women, and he would take advantage of them sexually in exchange for letting them out of arrest or ticket or something of that nature. And he was eventually caught and <coughs> convicted of 18 uh uh, counts, including four first-degree rape counts, as well as forcible oral sodomy, sexual battery, procuring lewd exhibition, and second-degree rape. He was acquitted on another 18 counts. So this was, I guess for me it was shocking, although I guess it shouldn't be that shocking, oh, yeah. now that we know that, I think they say that sexual misconduct is like the most complained about Complaint against police officers right after excessive force, which I didn't know that until I had started to research this story. So the uh, jury recommended 263 years. Mm -hmm. That we knew. And then at sentencing, the judge agreed. So what does this mean? He's going to be serving 263 years consecutively. And that was another issue because whether it was going to be concurrently or consecutively, Shaka, do you yeah. want to clarify what that means? Yeah, for those who don't know, a lot of times if there's several charges that you're looking at, the judge will say you can serve them together. So if I one charge one carried 10 years, charge two carried another 10 years, I would only serve 10 years if I was right. serving them concurrently as opposed to consecutively where it would be 20 right. years. Right. And so I think the judge um, really wanted to underscore the very seriousness nature of um, this conviction. And I think it was, you know, spot on. 263 years. Yeah. That's several lifetimes. Good luck yeah. or good riddance. There's also yeah. civil lawsuits pending. Yeah, and his appeal bond was denied, which was also good. So he's not able well, to be out while huge. on appeal because, of right. course, 263 years, who's not going to run, right? Right. So... Uh, yeah, so I guess, you know, good news, but tragic. Um, all right, moving on to 
Where I'm, 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 I'm all twisted around. Oh yes, okay. Here we go. So there are so many updates and various stories that are all under the umbrella of police killing of unarmed black men that we sort of wanted to present it all together here. And we've got a couple of pieces of good news and a couple of pieces of bad news. So Shaka, will you give us the good news? Well, the good news is uh, we had a there was a shooting um, recently with it. Anthony the, Hill. Anthony Hill, yes. And so Anthony Hill um, was um, unarmed, um, naked um, black man. He was shot by the police officer, and the police officer was thankfully indicted for that shooting. Yeah, this one was so sad was, to me. Yeah. He was 27 years old. He was a <coughs> veteran of the U.S. Air Force. He suffered from bipolar, right, and PTSD, mm-hmm. which I mean, I would I would imagine, but I didn't read was related to service. Mm-hmm. So he was back here, and he was having a manic episode, and during that confrontation with pol- a police officer in like a parking of an Complex, yeah. of an apartment building or something like that he was shot and killed yeah. uh the officer, just so the officer alleged that he was actually charging towards him at that time so but i mean it, i think that'll still make for an in- interesting conversation yeah but I, I, stunned i mean something other than ending Deadly this man's force, yeah. life right. who you know we, we talk a lot in this country about mental illness and this guy was mentally ill and i feel bad because he was like mentally ill on our behalf i believe uh, yeah. if it's related to him hmm. serving yeah oh my god that's just so heartbreaking so i mean some i guess you know good news on that any other piece of good news you got for us shaka any other piece of good news? The Ferguson protesters. Oh, yes, the Ferguson protesters. I don't have it in front of me. But they were um, – the charges have been dropped against right. the protesters. Yeah. Um, so there was like almost a dozen of them. How many of them were – were they were arrested in February for the six-month like anniversary protest, of Michael Brown's yeah. death. Right. And they were protesting in Ferguson and they were arrested for things like – Immediately, yeah. Property destruction, resisting arrests, assault charges, things of that nature. And – Ferguson was, like, serious about these charges, yeah. had them arrested, and then all the way up to the day of trial had these people believing that they were going to face trial. Mm-hmm. Then the morning of trial, the prosecutor apparently shows up late, walks up to the judge, and drops off a handwritten note to the judge and announces charges are dropped, right. which is good news, but it's also but in, infuriating. Yeah, in the manner it was done, you know. Right, right. So. But there was a lot that was going on in that case, I and, and the process. I mean, first of all, these officers are violating civil rights there, and and especially we're doing a compare con- contrast. You compare it to the militia. I think it was that in Oregon, yeah. Yeah. these guys who are armed and yeah. they actually made statements affirmatively stating there. that we will use our weapons. And right? they got what twenty two days because I mean they started January second and it was just two days ago that or yesterday right. they've gone Where into. Actually, yeah. I mean something actually has actually happened there. Yeah. Now, but when you compare it to this, these are people who are unarmed. Mm-hmm. They're standing up not for. Uh, they're standing for because you know a life was taken. They're not trying to. They're not taken. trying to undermine the government. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So yeah, this is. I mean, great. The charges were dropped, but I mean, just a really bad situation. Shouldn't have happened in the first place. Yeah. Uh, right. Apparently, there was a lot of video uh, body cams that came up missing. Right. Came the, up missing. the officers were saying the body cams don't always work well. Yeah. yeah. So this case was a mess, and I think prosecutors knew. They probably weren't going to win. And even if they did, this was still not going to bring peace to the streets of Ferguson. And so I think they made the right call in dropping it, made it a little late, but all right, fine. 
Um, so that's so that's the good news. Now we got some bad news. BJ, yeah, you want to so, tell us about that? Well, I mean, we have some. Um, I guess it's kind of like good and bad news. Um, the fact that the video was released was good, and the Cedric, uh, excuse me, Cedric Chapman case, a kid from Chicago, um, a teenager who was actually shot and killed after retreating and running running away from a police officer uh, in a chase. Um, and you can, we're not showing the video footage because you cannot, you can't actually see the you incident. You don't see it very occurred. well. Right. Yeah, it was this camera that was like out in the street and it was like rotating, so it would show a piece of the street for like five seconds and then right. switch to another and it would go around in like a circle. And you could actually see the moment where the, the guy, you just see off in the distance, guys running away. He's shot, and then he goes down. Right. You don't see it up yeah. close. Right. Um, and this is 2013. Correct. Yeah, it's yeah. 2013 when the incident happened. So yeah. the, the video of it was released. Uh, Just a, last a week, of, right? Yeah, yeah. But this Thanks, happened yeah. in 2013, and no officer faced yeah. any no consequences. Yeah. consequences. And the kid, so. was, he wasn't carrying any weapon. He was carrying a, uh, what they said was a stolen cell phone box. Uh, yeah. You know, so... Uh, obviously, it wasn't in a particular circumstance where there was a threat to the police I, officer. Yeah, I don't understand this at all because you could see on the video that the guy is moving away from the officer. And at least in the range that the camera covers, you don't see anybody else there. So right. the defense of, like, I was protecting the public or myself just doesn't seem yeah. to make sense here. Yeah. I know that I only got to see, like, a sub you know, three, four second clip of the moment it happened, but it didn't make sense to me. Hmm. So yeah, that is bad news. And so that, then I mean, a little that, bit more of bad news, BJ. Yeah. So I mean, along with that, obviously, and in, in, in that type of video is, is hardening to see, uh, or that type of incident. Um, but uh, in the course of 2015, or over the past uh, number of years, we could actually go and say, there's been no new legis- legislation to assist with the processing yeah. and setting up circumstances that would help uh, us to deviate from these types of acts from the police officers right. taking place. So, and I think that's the infuriating part. That's why you see people protesting. Like, right. I think we all have an understanding of bad things happen, but why is nothing happening to help the improve these situations? Yeah. So apparently well, every time somebody tries to propose something that would reduce the number of people that are killed by police officers, then police, the unions, yeah. and whoever yeah. advocates for them says that now we're endangering the lives of police, police officers. Yeah. But it doesn't make sense because one of the articles that I read talked about <coughs> us comparison comparison with uh, Britain. And, right. and how many few officers over there are actually attacked. And I understand right. that we can't, we're not the same. America mm. is a much different place. It's a bigger place. That place is like a giant island. And they don't have guns gun rights the same way that we do, but even looking at incidents with, like, knives, mm-hmm. you know, people there still attack officers with knives, and I think I saw that since 2008, only one of those suspects, those citizens who attacked an officer with a knife, was actually killed out of thousands and thousands. Right. So I think there is clearly room for us to look at the way that other countries are doing mm-hmm. things. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess it, it, it's I mean, difficult the, the to legislate. I mean, the question needs to be answered is when is deadly force, when should deadly force by police officers be used? I mean, how are these other officers in other countries finding ways to resolve these issues without killing people? Do they have better technology? Do they have better Better training, training? de-escalation? I I mean, I know that... It's the culture of the police department. I mean, we can look at technology. We pride ourselves on being one of the best countries in the world. And, uh, you know, so I don't want to let it fall back on on technology, on money. It's the culture that has been embedded in this police department for decades, for centuries. Yeah. And that's the problem here. We have to change that culture. And it's, shoot first, and it's difficult to later. legislate a culture. Yeah. Or can we? Well, we start with training. We start with, you know, um, I think better 
metrics as to who is even allowed to join the police force. Yeah. And we have talked about how there's going to be better records kept on these kinds of things so that we'll know uh, more precisely where we should target the efforts. So maybe I'm not surprised that new... No new legislation has come yeah, down. I mean, you could. Imp- it's so many different type of procedures that could be implemented. You could implement stuff that, uh, in fact, they actually have uh, in, in certain police departments. They have procedures where you cannot engage a suspect in certain circumstances because it may increase your risk of injury. And so, what you see a lot of circumstances: these police officers increasing their risk of yeah. injury, and then they're going to they're firing weapons because they're fearful. At that point, but, but they, it could they, they escalate the they, situation. Yeah, escalated I mean, the situation. If you've ever had a job in retail, when I was sixteen, I worked in retail, and they said if someone shoplifting and they run, let them go. Right. You know, let you them call, go because you your safety is the first. You know, right. the primary um, right. you know, importance. Exactly, and so for police officers, isn't their safety of primary importance? If someone's running and you feel that they would pose a deadly threat, let them go. Uh, do your investigative work to find them and arrest them, but do so in a way that does not endanger your life or doesn't necessitate you using yeah. deadly exactly. I mean it's just yeah. so crazy that it's just like in one moment somebody gets to be judge jury and executioner yeah. and I understand that some of these officers are in are in fear but I just it it doesn't make sense with the number so many I mean uh, almost 1200 people were killed yeah. by police officers and, and those numbers which is like I think uh two or th- one two or three times the number of people that we legally executed mm-hmm. You know, so the numbers just like BJ said. When you look at culture, and you look at you know, especially how police are taught to act in poorer neighborhoods or with people that look to them urban, or you know, these police they're taught that, and they're taught that you have to do that in order to keep yourself safe. So in some ways, it's their fault. In other in other ways, I don't believe it's their fault at all. All right. right. So I I also one of these like feel good videos that I've seen on Facebook. Have you seen some like police officers that are playing? basketball with the kids in the community and things like that. I mean, things like that where you can't legislate, but just great things like that that would help change the culture. Yeah, and, and, you know, I think that's a great point. And that's something that not only needs to be done with the police officers, that's something that also needs to take place with the district attorney's office as well. We need to fully engage our government uh, and our systems and our processes of uh, prosecutorial you know, whatever. Discretion. Exactly. And we need to engage the community. So I'm, I'm not just the public, excuse me, not just the district, the public defender's office as well. We need yeah. to get all of these units in a community and actually revive the relationship. Yeah, I guess you can stay too long in an office or in a courtroom and lose touch with the people and the lives that you're impacting in the communities. And yeah, around the holidays, I believe someone donated to one of the police departments, you know, some large excessive amount of money. But the donation was for the, was for the police department to go out and individually hand out $100 bills to people that needed it. Interesting. And that just started to change the way that, that community... builds trust between, and not just yeah. for, not just for the citizens, but, but also for the police officers. Because yeah. now you're engaging these people. These aren't the dangerous people you're that supposed I look to be at them protecting. As. Yeah, and see that's the problem. You don't look at you look at uh, you don't go and look at the situation as you're protecting the community. There, you're actually there. By, excuse me, you're actually just arresting people. Exactly. Right? But that, because of the way that we measure success in these police departments, it's that number culture, of arrests, right? amount of money brought in, the prosecutors are evaluated based on their percent of, uh, quotas, mm-hmm. uh, right. guilty pleas, you know, so it, there's a lot to be done. All right, moving on now, and something that is being done in the ju- justice system, at least in the juvenile justice system, is President Obama banning the use of solitary confinement in federal prisons for kids. Um, big deal or not a big deal? 
I think it's a pretty big deal. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's something, as far as I'm concerned, this should, should have never taken place in the first place anyway. Remember, and I know we talked about this earlier, the prison industrial complex in its origin was meant as a rehabilitative process. So if someone is mentally ill, if someone just, you know, but is these engaging are kids. in crime, we, we and, see and that's kids. why even more than it should right. be viewed as a rehabilitative process. Yeah, so absolutely. these types of acts uh, should not take place. So apparently President Obama had a study done, an investigation done, and it turns out that putting kids in solitary confinement will lead to depression, anxiety, social isolation. I mean, obvious things, but apparently we need a study for everything these days. Uh, (laughs) The likely – increases the likelihood that they'll engage in violent conduct. So this was clearly moving in the wrong direction. You make kids angrier. And uh, right. I think this is a, a first good first step. It was relatively non-controversial. I don't think that this is super politically charged. I don't think anybody is saying put more kids in solitary confinement. Yeah, I think that's why I think that's why he went for this because why he now? knew um, what I think prison reform is something that he hadn't gotten a chance to really tackle. And you look at a lot of our mass shootings, and we're talking about mental illness, and uh, where is that some of some of that being fomented, and some of that's being fomented in these prisons with these children being solitary confinement. Yeah. And so I think it starts to begin to tackle the problem, um, the overall problem between these kind of shootings and how, how we look at mental illness today. Yeah, so I think this is good. So now they're going to have to look at other means of discipline in prison, probably a good thing. Uh, I was shocked to, to read that there are as many as 100,000 people in solitary confinement in U.S. prisons. I was shocked by this number. Shock is yeah. like, meh. Well, I mean, I, I wasn't so shocked. You know, the population is, what, 300 million, 100,000 people. And, you know, working with a public defender, I did see some people that solitary confinement was good for them. You know, um, and so the number it sounds high, but I think when you look at the percentages, it's probably not that high. Yeah. But what I would be in favor of is some oversight over who's going to solitary confinement. I mean, that is really, is really harsh. Is there an process? Yeah. And yeah. how would that and oversight people- look, though? I, I think you could have some – the public defender could come in. And, yeah. you know, there could be a division of the public defender that works, you know, that to come in and see who's – why they're in solitary mm-hmm. confinement. Is there any appeals process? How long? Right. Uh, why are they there for this? That's a great idea. I yeah. mean, because some people are in there for, like, months and years. years. Yeah. President Obama in this uh, announcement was talking about a kid who was 16 years old placed in solitary confinement for, like, months. Mm. I can't remember. Months? No. And then two years later committed suicide. So really tragic results and that that just, you know, shouldn't happen. And we can't say for sure that the suicide was directly related to the solitary confinement, but surely couldn't help. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's a a, a good first step. And now we're going to end on some some breaking news. So if you remember, I think was this last month or maybe it was November. God, it's everything's going by so quickly right now. January's almost over. (laughs) There was this officer in Illinois, Officer Glinowich, who had radioed to dispatch that he was chasing suspects, two white men, one black man, and then officers came to the scene and found Officer Glinowich dead. There was a massive manhunt, a huge funeral, uh, a hero's salute. Everybody was talking about what a great man this was, what a tragedy it was to lose him. He was just months away from retirement. And then the investigation turns, and we all find out that Officer Glinowich staged the whole thing. It was actually a suicide, that he was um, trying to avoid repercussions for um, for basically stealing yeah. from a nonprofit 
organization right. that he was the head of. Yeah. And then now today we get the news that his wife was indicted. What was she indicted for? Um, for misappropriating those funds, right. using the funds for personal trips, um, you know, food, lunches, Starbucks. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, she, but I think her defense is that she, she's a victim of his malfeasance. And they didn't really give too many details regarding how direct she was involved. Because it wasn't clear if he gave her a credit card and said, this is your card, and if that was drawing from the funds. So uh, from the details I've seen, I'm not sure exactly if she does have a wiggle room to kind of get out of this. I think it'll be be interesting to find out actually what the facts were that led them to actually prosecute her for this. Yeah, very interesting. All righty, guys. I think that is it for us. As always, you can tweet me at Chelsea Galicia. Me at B, at what? Just, Just BJ, BJ Abraham. Here we go. There it is. <laughs> and Shaka Strong. And we should probably do a little plug. Um, next week, we will be doing our Making a Murderer special. Special, yes. yes. Two hour special. Tweet us your questions about Making a Murderer, and maybe we will answer it here for you on the show. Yep. See you next week, guys. Thank you. From executives Kevin Undergaro, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, and the entire BHL staff, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us, info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I am the official voice of Black Hollywood Live, Scipio. Instagram me, at KingXOBay. Thanks for tuning in. Hollywood Redefined. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.